Good evening. Thank you for coming. We are continuing with the Bhagavat Sandarbha of Srila Jiva Goswami. I want to do a quick recap. We're kind of at a place where kind of at a place where Jiva Goswami's covered a lot of ground through the first half of the Bhagavat Sandarbha. And I think it's good to put in perspective where he's going what he's accomplished and uh, so far up to this point and then uh, where we're going from here through the rest of this particular Sandarbha. We discussed quite a bit about one verse from the Bhagavatam which is really instrumental to our understanding of the nature of the Supreme. Vadanti tat tat vavidas tatvam yaj janamadvayam prameti the verse basically says there's many great sages and saints and people that are inclined towards spiritual consciousness in the world. And according to their conceptions and the method of their worship, they see the Lord differently. So they have different conceptions of what the Lord is. Those conceptions, of course, lead those worshippers, those practitioners, those sadhus of different different conceptions lead them to different destinations. So it's not that everybody that worships the Lord ends up in the same, you know, same place. Krishna explains in the Bhagavad Gita, ye all of them, as they surrender unto me, as they worship me, as they conceive of me, I reward accordingly. So Krishna's certainly like his transcendental abodes where there are wish-fulfilling trees and wish-fulfilling cows and the, wish, the land itself upon which that that transcendental realm exists, is itself wish-fulfilling. And for one pursuing spiritual life, and specifically for those ones that that are pursuing the path as uh, put forth by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and the Goswamis, uh, there's wish-fulfilling at every stage along the way also. In fact, if you look carefully to the Bhagavatam, which is our main scripture, which is the scripture that Jiva Goswami is saying we should primarily uh, look to as spiritual evidence of the highest order. It's not that there's not other scriptures, it's not that the other scriptures do not have something to offer uh, humanity at large, but Srimad Bhagavatam is, is that spotless Purana, it has no tinge of, of uh, any, anything except the highest devotional discourse. Every story of the Bhagavatam is meant to gradually bring us to that highest understanding of the Supreme Absolute Truth. So Jiva started out, Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavaniti, Sabdite. Some see the Supreme Lord as simply a manifestation of spiritual energy that pervades everything. Some people go a bit for, further and not only see the all-pervading energy, 
but also see that that, that all-pervading energy is also lo localized in themselves. So they also have a bit of that spiritual energy in them. In fact, if they look carefully, they, they see that actually that's the, if they contemplate their existence carefully enough, then they, they come to a deep understanding of, uh, of the nature of their being and go on from that to recognize that there's other, there's somebody on the other end. And that other end is a personality. So, uh, we refer to that as uh, Paramatma, that all-pervading personal energy of the Lord. In other words, the material energy has a personal aspect. And, of course, Bhagavan. Not only does he have a personal aspect, but he has a supreme personality in and of himself or herself or both him and herself. There's really nothing independent of that supreme personality. He is, uh, he contains all, all that, all that's to be aspired for in the essence of our being and much more. So, Shuddha Jiva Goswami, he started there. He went on to explain that actually Bhagavan, the Bhagavan that's spoken about in the verse, Paramati, you know, Paramati, Bhagavan, that's also the Narayan that we hear about, about in the scriptures who, who presides over this transcendental realm. And that that personality, personality Bhagavan is also the source of the Purusha avatars. Purusha avatars means those avatars that manifest the material realm for our for our endeavors. Um, and then Jiva Goswami goes on and he he gives some examples of those who have actually realized Bhagavan. So there's different examples given of, of you know, Bra what was Brahma's realization like? What was uh, Bharat Maharaj's and uh, Rishavdev's and the Kamara's? What were their, you know, Dhruva Maharaj? So he pulls from different places of the Bhagavatam to say there's a consensus about that Bhagavan conception between amongst people who have actually had a revelation of the Supreme Lord. He he looks the same to all of them. He manifests in a in a in a similar manner and he the color of his body and the color of the clothes he wears and the 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 nature of the jewelry and his uh, and his his fa his facial features his bodily features the way his hair curls so they, they there's some consistency there and jiva brings that out by by tapping on these different stories from the bhagavatam 
And then he goes on to show us that the Lord's energies are are his very are intrinsic in him. It's not like the Lord has to go outside of himself to acquire a creative potency to make the world of man. He doesn't have to go outside of himself to manifest the spiritual realm. These are profound revelations that Jeeva is giving us to understand what is really the nature of, of, of the Lord and how does, he, how does he manifest that nature and how does he use all these various energies that are himself. They're intrinsic. All these energies are his very, the essence of his very self. And he goes on to explain and show how even the material realm, which we refer to as maya, maya can either mean mercy or it can also mean illusion, is also manifested by the Supreme Lord. It's coming through his, his energies. So it, it is real. As real as he is, the, the material world is real. But when we talk about real, reality is really in the eye of the beholder. So his vision of material existence and ours may not really be on the same page. We're more or less, unfortunately, prisoners in this realm. We didn't determine what cell we would be placed in, but here we are. I have this body. Now this body is starting to age and I, there's nothing I can do about it. So, yeah, that's our lot in life. That we have to suffer the slings and arrows of our own misfortune, which we've created ourselves. So then, coming into these deeper understandings of, well, that's kind of a profound statement that we've created ourselves. I didn't create my body. Well, actually, you did. Your body that you have, you're inhabiting today, is the body you made yesterday. Uh, you can even make a change to this body. Just well, some of us are beyond change, but <laughs> I know I am. But you know, if you're a young man or a young woman, you can make yourself into a ballerina or a lift. You know, a weightlifter. You know, you can make yourself into a. Uh, a, a computer genius, you know, just work hard enough and, and, you know, the world's open to you. So you can change to some extent within parameters. Of course, sometimes you don't have the facilities. Maybe you'd like to be an Einstein, but your IQ isn't <laughs> high enough to do simple math. So... You know, it's it might be a it might be a uh, what they say a hard road to hoe to to get yourself, you know, a a master's in uh, you know mechanical science or phys advanced physics and quantum physics, but within reason, if you really desire it, we can see that even some of those desires, even ourselves, even if we don't believe in 
what would be basically the reincarnation, the, uh, uh, one personality going from one body to the other. When we don't believe in things, we have a hard time explaining like, well, how did the two-year-old boy started playing the piano and, and making up his own music at a level that's, that's equivalent to a Mozart or a, or a Beethoven? How did that happen? Is he just like his, his little things in his DNA just came together a certain way and he could just sit down and you know, do that? I saw a, a, a YouTube video that was interesting, and there's a, I mean, I, the child is really young, and he's standing there listening to an orchestra, you know, and he's he's directing the or you know, in his mind, he's just, and he knows exactly what he's doing, he's, you know, and he, I'm sorry. If those kind of epiphanies Seeing those kind of things do not bring an epiphany that that renders us surrendered to the concepts that are put forth in the Bhagavad Gita, you know, about reincarnation and about the nature of our being and the, the way that we're influenced by different modes of material nature, then, well, you know what they say, spiritual life, you've got to use it or lose it, you know. So we're given a human form of life to to delve deeply into the inner the inner nature of our being, and it's it would be good of us to take advantage of that because I could hold my arm up here for a week or two or three weeks, and pretty soon I can't use it at all. It will not work. Can't even hold it up there long. <laughs> but the point is, we have an intelligence that allows us to comprehend the nature of our being, and it would it serves us well to to utilize that and 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 really think deeply and seek out those literatures and those personalities that bring out the best of the potential that is a potentiality to end misunderstandings about the Lord, misunderstandings about the material world, misunderstandings about ourself, and through good association, through studying of scripture, through, through serving uh, the Supreme, through his devotees and the Guru, um, we're afforded a, a very, very special opportunity to take advantage of this knowledge. And I know going through the Sundarvas, it's, it's kind of thick at times. It's like, wow, then you got to come back. And I mean, I'm doing the best I can here. I try to understand everything that's there so I can present it in a way. But this is this is deep philosophical understanding of, of the nature of Krishna. And uh, it's, it's something that's so beneficial to us. I mean, just imagine to be able to, on your deathbed, said, well, I know the nature of the Supreme Lord, and I have no fear. I have no concerns. I have no... I know that I've, I've 
I've dedicated myself. I've learned a lot. I've, I have some deep grounding and some bandagyan, and it doesn't. Everything's going to come out well for me. It's gonna, it's gonna work for my advantage. Yes. Can I ask a quick question? Sure. Um, so it's possible, or it's for sure that God works in each and everyone's lives differently. So everyone, it's possible for everyone to have a, an, a different understanding of God. Mm-hmm. Sure. All of them, as they surrender unto me, I reward them accordingly. So according to the level of surrender, according to... And what's that? where's that level of surrender come from? A level of surrender comes from the depth of our understanding. So, willing to willing to accept the fact that if I'm in a mess, I probably I got here of my own volition. Uh, there's one boy saint, Prahlad Maharaj, who was protected, and uh, uh, at a certain point, even at five years old, he was when the teacher left the classroom, he'd take over. He had a lot of spiritual knowledge even at that young age. And one of the one of the uh, lessons that he gave to his his fellow students, whenever the real teacher had left the classroom, well, they weren't the real teacher. He was the real teacher, what it turned out to be, uh, is anyone that thinks another living entity is the cause of their distress, is in the greatest delusion. He's a five-year-old boy. Now just think about this statement. Anyone that thinks someone else is the cause of their distress is in the greatest delusion. Now think about practical application of such a statement. Think about when somebody belittles you, finds fault with you, uh, disparages everything that you've done in your life, uh, taking that attitude. Really, this is coming, and it's it's appropriate for me to hear this. Or if there's some you know major catastrophe, I need to, I need, this is good. This is the environment is friendly. Bhakti Rakshak Shridhardev Goswami. Uh, you know, wrote some nice, well, he didn't write. They compiled uh, what he'd said uh, on his veranda to students uh, into various little books like Home Comfort and, uh, you know, The Halo of of Radha. Uh, I can't remember all the titles. They were very unique titles. They were nicely presented uh, portions of his discussions, and uh, they they did a really expert job but um, he was always so his presentation was so upbeat and so optimistic in regards to everything about your spiritual life and I think Guru Maharaj mentions this but there was one student who was in in a darshan of, of Bhakti Rakshak Sridharnaya Goswami and he was lamenting to 
to the to Shredar that here I am and I've 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 made no no spiritual advancement in this life. I'm so deplorable. I'm just I'm, I'm worthless. I can't even control my senses in the least amount. I still smoke weed. <laughs> he said to him. Doctor said looked at him and says, "No progress." You have a human form of life. No progress? You're worried about some Anartha that will fall away in due course of time? No progress? You're here sitting with Krishna's devotees, discussing Krishna, hearing about Krishna? Something's brought you here. Maybe you need to rethink this attitude. So he's, he was very, very thoughtful, and he... he, he he radiated that thoughtfulness. In fact, when he was asked to go and preach, his response was, I'd just rather sit here and contemplate and and think. But if somebody comes to me and asks a question, I'll be glad to spend time with them. And it turns out that they did come and they did question and they did listen to him deeply and he had so much to offer and did so much him relief work himself and then sent others who were qualified out to to continue that so um, to be ever mindful of of where we are and where the other devotees are think is uh, is very helpful to us so I want to read a few of the, the little quick things here bring us up to the point to remind us of what we went over uh, Krishna's attributes constitute his essential nature everything about him is him there's nothing outside it's not like I feel good today you know, <laughs> it's not like, you know, I think I'll play God today. Or No, this is his, he is God. And that is, this is his nature. And everything about him is part, it's, it's intrinsic in him. We're not like that in the material world, are we? Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Sometimes life is treating us nicely and sometimes it isn't. Um, especially for the, you know, the materialists, they're they're constantly on ups and downs. The devotees also have to go through ups and downs, but their firm intelligence and their good association makes it a lot easier. Um, I, I just saw something. I can't remember exactly how it was said, but uh, my spiritual masters, Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada, said something to the effect that. You're complaining about your situation, but your situation is so much improved and is so, you know, is, is compared to people that have no knowledge of Krishna. Your situation is so blessed. Just keep keep it in perspective. So, Chris, Bhagavan's body is transcendental. Bhagavan's body is all pervaded. Bhagavad's form is unlimited. Uh, 
Bhagavan's form is not limited by the material atmosphere, material elements. Uh, Bhagavan's form is both inside and outside the universe. And remember at this point he brought up Mother Yasoda and, and asked us to think deeply about this one epiphany she had, this one vision where she looked in Krishna's mouth looking for a little dirt because his, his friends were a little mad at him, so they made up a story, well, he's eating dirt. And she said, no, you can't eat dirt. Did you really eat dirt? Balaram, your older brother said you ate dirt. No, I didn't. I didn't look. He opens his mouth. She looks in his mouth, and what she see? She sees herself looking in his mouth, and everything, the whole creation, the whole material realm. She had a spiritual vision that was, you know, was in his world. In other words, the whole world is in him, and outside of him. What's that? What's that? What's that mean? To actually, to, to actually, this is God, Achinta Beta Beta Tattva. He's both localized and all pervading. How can how can how can we relate to it? How can we even assimilate such a statement, Achinta Beta Beta Tattva? But that's the essence that of a philosophical understanding which constitutes the Gaudiya Sampradaya that distinguishes it from the Sampradayas that came before. That Sri Chaitanya was able to amalgamate this philosophy and introduce this concept that if you really want to understand Krishna, then you have to understand Krishna the way Radha understands Krishna. And and, and that takes a, a deep, deep understanding. And the Sambandha Gyan, the basis of that understanding is, well, actually Krishna is Radha and Radha is Krishna, but they're also Krishna and Radha separated, but they, they're together in Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in their mood and and how to enter into to such a deep, deep, deep spiritual understanding. Uh, the universe is within the Lord's body. Krishna's body is Advaya Brahma, non-dual Brahman. But that is the substance that is his body. What's well, not a substance? You can't attribute anything to Brahman. It's the non-dual of of everything. The unlimited forms of Bhagavan exist within one form. The Lord's body contains everything. Krishna's form can manifest in innumerable places simultaneously. Narada was just bewildered what to speak of Brahma. Just just bewildered. How does this happen? Sri Krishna is the Paramatma. The Lord's body is eternal and all-pervading. The Lord's form is neither subtle nor gross. Though invisible, the Lord's body can be seen by His mercy. How can you see consciousness? 
because that is satchitadanda, eternity, knowledge, and bliss, the consciousness that that is the concentrated consciousness that constitutes the Lord's transcendental being. The Lord's senses are transcendental. The Lord's bodily limbs are non-material. Mm. Devaki's prayers to Krishna, partial expansions of Sri Krishna are also transcendental. Talking about the Saktavish avatars, those people that the Lord's empowered with his energy, those people that's, that he's empowered with the concept that they themselves are the supreme in a good way. In other words, they're doing his bidding. That, then we have saints, even in like the the, uh, the Christian tradition, like Lord Jesus, the Father and the Son, I'm the same. But our understanding of Jesus is he's a Saktavish avatar, he's not Bhagavad Sri Krishna. He's not Krishna Stu Bhagavan Swayam, but he has enough power, he's been empowered enough by the Lord to that his instructions have endured for over two thousand years. How powerful is that? Krishna is Subda Brahman. Krishna's body is the complete form of Bhagavan. And we talked about the distinction between Vasudev Krishna and Raj Krishna. So you're continuing tonight, and Jiva Goswami is going forward, and he's going to point out that, first of all, Krishna's vesh, everything that he wears, well, that's also transcendental, and that's really not different from him. There's, we should not see it the way we see what we wear. You know, there's a difference, but there's no difference with Krishna. Bhagavan's attire and ornaments are part of his swarup, they're part of his nature. In this section, Srila Jiva Goswami continues his investigation of the non difference of Bhagavan's body from himself. This means that all the characteristics found in the Lord are not are found in his body as well. This is Jiva Goswami's Anucheda. I'll read a little from it to put you in the mood. In this way, it was first shown that the Lord's opulence and so on are part of his essential nature. This is appropriate. Since these opulences are intrinsic characteristics that of that essential nature, just as the intrinsic characteristics of fire, such as brightness or luminosity, belong to fire and not to darkness. So it's an interesting analogy that when we talk of fire, it has these characteristics that are that are its nature. When you see fire, there's heat there. If you get close enough, you'll feel the heat. When there's fire, there is illumination. There is light coming from the fire. You can't separate the heat and the light from the fire. They are what constitutes fire. So 
think of these things in re, the energies of the Lord and his form and his different manifestations and shaktis and you can think of all these swarup shakti, this whole swarup shakti, which is manifesting from him by thinking of this analogy. Not that it applies 100%, because it doesn't. Fire is matter. <laughs> Krishna is the supreme spirit. But it can give you some idea of the fact that these potencies are intrinsic. That you cannot separate heat from fire. You cannot separate light from fire. Thereafter, it was established that Bhagavan's body, the Lord's body, is entirely constituted of his essential nature. So Jiva's setting us up here. Okay, I got you convinced of that, that his body and himself are non-different. God doesn't have a body like you have a body. His body and himself are the same. They're of the same nature. This is also appropriate because that form is identical with the supreme existent, who is inherently self-endowed with all potencies. Self-endowed, all potencies. That's two pretty important words. He didn't have to go out of, outside of himself to get all the energies that constitute his nature. He's self-endowed. I give myself these energies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to go to this five and dime and buy, you know, the Shakti that lets me create a material manifestation. I'm self-endowed. Among the inherent potencies, inherent meaning they're inherent, not that he inherited it from somebody else, that they are inherent in him. Inherent potencies of this supreme existent, his very own intrinsic Eternal nature is the characteristic feature of his divine form endowed with various limbs. He does have a form. He does manifest a form. He's self-endowed with a form. He doesn't have to take birth from somebody else's body like we do. He's, he just he manifests his form at his discretion whenever and wherever he likes and he likes to please his devotees so if there's if you're a, become his devotee there's a good chance that he's going to reveal his form to you in fact all the great acharyas explain the progressive stages of devotional practice and there is a time when that's one this vision of the lord will be there and if you're extremely fortunate that vision will never go away. You can enter into that realm and play perpetually. Now the yogis also see this form. The Brahmavadis also see this form and experience this form of the Lord. And then, as Vishwanath points out, they're like a fisherman. That they've 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 captured their, their impersonal conception and they gradually talk themselves out of it for the impersonal conception. So much pleasure in the personal conception, and, but they 
their particular inclination is more towards the impersonal aspects of the Supreme. Indeed, the Lord's divine form is verily the supreme existent who is self-endowed with such attributes and is, the, is of the nature of supreme bliss. This form is identical to the original and complete being, Swayam Bhagavan, since it is the resting place of all of his other intrinsic eternal attributes, such as his majesty. After thus, again, we'll go on. This is all Jiva in his Anucheda. After thus establishing that Bhagavan's form is identical to his complete essential nature, we now begin a new topic. So he's switching. He's going to say, okay, let's take it a step further. Let's take this revelation, this understanding of the Lord to the next level. So if you're ready, we can go into this level. Okay, we're ready for a new subject. I'm ready to give you a new subject. Which will continue up to the description of the Lord's associates. So I'm going to start here. We're going to start to talk about the Lord's paraphernalia. We're going to talk about his weapons. We're going to talk about his abodes. And he, up to the point of talking about his eternal associates. And are you ready, basically? This is where we're going. So he's giving us a heads up about where he's taking the discussion. To further substantiate this point, which will be continue up to the descriptions of the Lord's associates, the entire and ornaments that he gets to the subject at hand, the attire and ornaments of Bhagavan are also part of his swarup. This is hinted at in the following two verses, which relate that he was so adorned when he made his appearance in the prison cell of Vasudev and Devaki. What's he doing? He's providing a praman. I'm saying that the Lord's ornaments and his dress are of his essential nature, his swarup. And let's look to the Srimad Bhagavatam as an evidence to substantiate the point that I'm trying to make here. And then he goes to the tenth canto. Vasudev looked at the extraordinary lotus-eyed little boy who had four arms, in which he held a conch, disc, mace, and lotus. His chest was decorated with a mark of Lakshmi, and the brilliant Kastuba gem graced his neck. He was dressed in yellow. His body had the beautiful hue of a dense cloud and was decorated with a brilliant belt, armlets, bangles, and other ornaments. His helmet and earrings sparkled with invaluable multicolored Vidurya gems, and his hair was scattered in thousands of strands. Then Jiva just writes, the meaning is clear. <laughs> this is Krishna. And all these constitute Krishna. Do I need to explain anything else? The meaning is clear. Because then what did Krishna do? I mean, Vasudeva and Devaki are in the cell, the prison cell of, of Kamsa. And they know that she's about to give birth to a baby 
And then all of a sudden, he's there. But he's a complete manifestation of the Supreme Personality of Godhead with all of his paraphernalia, fully dressed, manifesting forearms. And all of a sudden, these, these are devotees of the Lord that have affection as parents. And imagine, imagine their, their sense of wonder when they see this form of the Lord standing in the prison house. The little, there's Krishna, fully dressed, fully clothed, fully ornamented with all of his all of his wriggle paraphernalia and his club and his conch and his disc. His chakra. And all of a sudden, what can they do? They offer prayers. They offer prayers. And they were afraid when Krishna appeared from her womb, supposedly, that like every other child in the universe, the baby would start to cry in joy of being free of a womb. But that's another thing. <laughs> As to those cries, what do they really constitute? But so there were they were they had some fear, and Krishna, out of his out of his compassion for them, this is this is how he manifests. He just came out. He wasn't crying. He came out with his full manifestation of the Supreme Lord to just pacify them. It's okay. Kamsa can't hurt me. Kamsa may have killed your your other children, but he's not going to kill me. Look at me. I'm God. You know what God looks like, and this is me. I'm here before you in this prison house. Oh, but the word will get out. Hello. Yes. Can I ask a question? Mm -hmm. um, first of all, what what is mace? Did you said a club. A club. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> how does he? How does Krishna is born, and then all of a sudden he's grown with four arms? Is that just one of his? Miracles? Well, first of all, the Lord doesn't take birth. The point of the story is is to, is manyfold, but. One point of the story is the Lord doesn't take birth like a child. Although he may appear to take birth, he really doesn't. So if we have, when we read the scriptures, and it talks about the Lord adventing or appearing within human society, you should know that it's not in the traditional manner that a, a normal material child takes birth because he doesn't have a material body. And he's completely independent. And he can manifest his form with or without a mother. Doesn't even need a mother. He can come out of a pillar. He could walk out of the wall if he wanted. So that's to teach us about the nature of the Lord's transcendental being. So he appears to satisfy, to placate. First of all, anytime he appears, he manifests of his own energy. So he manifests, not that he came out of a womb, he manifested to his parents in the, in, the, in the prison cell, 
but they were worried that when he manifest, when he did take birth, so to speak, uh, he would be like a normal child. He would cry, and that would, you know, raise the uh, the concerns of the of the guards, the prison guards, and they'd immediately get word to the king. And there's a whole story, backstory to this that, uh, you know. Kamsa was a great demon, and he he was told uh, years in advance of Krishna's appearance that the Lord Himself would appear and kill him. He was he was he was told this. It's a custom in India that when the husband and wife marry, the brother-in-law of the bride would sometimes become the chariot driver. And drive the newlyweds to the to the home of the husband's family, in order to give her that last bit of protection and and sense of security that would be there in leaving your house and going off, you know, with your husband to to your husband's home. So Kams is driving Vasudeva and Devaki in the chariot, and there's a there's a voice from the sky. He heard. It was, don't you, you fool, don't you know that, that you're carrying your sister who's going to bear the fruits of your evil conduct and the Lord is going to appear by her and he's going to kill you. Kamsa was a real piece of work. <laughs> he immediately he immediately pulled out a sword and was ready to dispatch his sister. No, he didn't care. I just, it's all about me. Me, me, me. And not, you know, and if, if this, I'll just get rid of her now. She's not going to have any kids. I think the prophecy from the sky said something about the eighth child will kill you. Her eighth child will kill you. So he's, well, she's not going to have any kids. I'll just get... So then the, the husband, the new husband, Vasudev, falls at his feet, tries to placate him and, and uses logic and reason and spiritual scripture and, well, he said whatever he had to, basically, to get Kamsa to back off. And Kamsa finally did. And, but then, yeah, then we have Narada Muni and he's like a transcendental jester. He comes into the story and he's, he rouses Kamsa up again because he wants to push the pastimes along. The point Jiva's making here is the fact that here's Krishna manifesting in the prison house in his full form, you know, and he, they didn't have to dress him, they didn't have to bathe him. He just he just manifested his full form as Krishna. Of course, there. Their fear was placated. They knew that Kamsa couldn't kill Krishna because they understood enough spiritual. They had enough spiritual knowledge, but then the, the um, spiritual emotion of being parents took hold of them, and 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 in taking hold of them, Krishna reciprocates with the love of his devotees, and Krishna immediately gave up the form of of Vasudev Krishna with four arms and weapons and two things, the conch and the lotus to bless the devotees, the mace and the chakra to kill the demons. He's, he's a, 
all around God. <laughs> so, protector. yes, protector and destroyer, both. And he he felt the this this emotion from his parents of parental affection, and he immediately played into that for their satisfaction because he is he is the most Rasaraj. He satisfies the the mood of his devotees more than anything. And in doing so he he met, he he withdrew withdrew all of his paraphernalia and became a child in the lap of Mother Devaki. And then then they were like, well now Kamsa can really kill him. And they forgot the again the you know that 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 emotion of parental uh, concern and care and love took them over and we've got to get this kid out of here. I mean, Kamsa could come at any minute and kill him. And that's exactly what happened. Anyway, it's a long story and you'll hear much of it as, as we go on. So I'll stop there for this evening. Are there any questions? Thank you so much for your association. Thank you.